Sea Stories. Lives touched by the sea. I think it's, what is it, 40, 40? Oh, God. It's about, uh, I'd have to lie about the date, because I lied about my age the day that I, that I went out that day. Okay, it was 1970, it was March 1970, when the two of us first put our foot on a boat and headed out on a 59-foot gaff rig catch out of Dunleary Harbour in a cold, windy, sunny day. And you were 14 and I was 15. We were both supposed to be 16, I think, or something like that. Right? Yeah. This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. Hello and welcome to Sea Stories. I'm John Murphy, and in this series I'm going to be talking with many different people about their lifelong involvement with the sea. For some, the sea has given them an adventure. For others, it's a passion, a living or perhaps even a love affair. I've been sailing for over 40 years, and today's programme, my sailing companion is Frank Trainer. Frank started his career as a cadet with Irish shipping in 1972. Since then, he's been a ship's master deep sea, a skipper of a square rig ship, and for many years, an ocean sailor on his own boat. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. So for you, what, what, what happened that day? Tell us about that day first. Well, I mean, I, I, the, the first thing I remember about it, I spent the night, we were out on the moorings there before the marina ever was being dreamt of, and uh, we spent the night at, at, on the mooring, and there was so many of us on board, I slept on the char table. But we headed off the next day, and I remember it so clearly, just heading down the coast here and finding all kinds of funny things, like the, the India boy. And I thought... Why is it called the India boy there? <laughs> and I suppose someday I'll have to find out why. But uh, uh, without without any idea of navigation or anything at all, um, we just found our way into Milford Haven. We might get inside the Muglins. <laughs> might go down Darky Sound this way. Eternal optimist. We tack our way down the sound, really. Yeah. And, uh, He's going the same way, I think. Yeah, except he's motoring. He's motoring, yeah. I know. Ask him what those white things are for. Exactly. Never understand why he wouldn't put the main up and just motor sailing at this wind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's in a hurry going nowhere. What's the wind speed? Nine by twelve. Ten or twelve knots. Sporting his forecast anyway, which is great. Yeah, yeah. If uh, we just shift another 15 degrees now, we'd be grand. Uh, story of my life. And I was going to pack the cruising chute away. I thought I'd leave it out just in case. Yeah. No chance. Unless we run home tonight now. Yeah. Uh, where else would you be on a day like this? You were the first in your family to go to sea. Exactly, yeah. Although, uh, apparently a few generations back, there was a, there was a hooker, um, a hooker skipper, used to run out of Galway. A bit of coal and that sort of thing, but... Uh, that was, that was the only thing they could dredge up. So the years spent on the original Ascard, the uh, Gunrunner, right, was like a forte. That, that, that sort of set us up as a sort of a start of a seagoing career in a way that, that instilled a love for sailing and for old, ship, old boats as well. Like. I mean, it was, it, it, she was one of the most beautiful, sea-kindly boats ever. I have never, ever had a, a minute's doubt uh, on the old Asgard. I mean, she was she was designed and built by Colin Archer, and his designs are still used today. 
you never doubted that she was she was built by somebody who understood the elements out there and understood safety and getting there rather than trying to race. I mean, you see all the racing machines nowadays and I can never quite understand why all they're interested in is going so fast. You're listening to Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. The, the, the important part of it all was, uh, was sail training. And it, it's a very nebulous concept. It's not something that, um, that, that an accountant can get, get their, to, to, to grips with. And, you know, they, they, there's no outcome that's measurable. And, but the outcome, you know, and the benefit might be 10, 20, 30 years down the line. And, you know, we, we've, we ended up carrying an assortment of young people is probably a polite way of putting it. You know, we, we had them from all walks of life, all, all kind of areas in society, and they were thrown together. And, and that's mainly what sail training was about. You know, you, you, you knock them together and show them no quarter. But they, it's how they react to that and how they form into a team. I mean, you hear nowadays about, you know, team-building exercises, you know, and they go up in the mountains and whatever. Um, Asgard performed that duty absolutely unbelievably. You know, within the first day, I mean, we'd go out here on the first day that, that kids would join. Like I said, maybe out of the 20, 20 trainees, there'd be three or four experienced people, and the rest would probably never have set foot in the boat in their life, unless Daddy had a yacht in the Medi or something. And there was plenty of them there, and there was plenty of guys from... from uh, like, never, never been on a boat before, ever? Never, never even dreamt uh, of, of being on a boat. We were up the, the Liffey one day uh, in the first year, and we used to tie up at the, just beside the shore office there. There was somebody came down the quay there, just walking down the quay, kicking a can, and, uh, you know, they look down at us, like, and uh, you know, they says, you know, who do you have to know to get on that, you know? And I says, well, me, I suppose. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, we got them to sign up for it. They weren't able to afford the fees or anything like that. And my greatest joy on the Asgard was being able to find somebody who genuinely couldn't afford it, because it wasn't cheap. And, you know, you, you could waive the fees. There was always somebody would pay for it. There was always, there was always some ex-trainees that appreciated what they got out of it and would donate um, for, for other crew that, that weren't able to, to pay for it. But it was also very good at getting the best out of people who didn't think they had it in them. In other words, in, in tough conditions or in bad weather, it was able to extract, uh, you know, uh, we, we, strength we, of character that the people didn't know there. We put them yeah. under pressure. Um, you know, they, they'd, uh, we, we tell them to get up aloft and furl that, that uh, topsail. And they say, you know, you can F off, I'm not going up there, you know, you're mad, you're all mad. And, you know, but we'd, we'd persuade them eventually to do it. And, you know, invariably they'd come down and say, look, I didn't think I could do that. I thought you were all mad, but I did it. You know, I mean, people are obviously capable of an awful lot more than they can do, but they don't ever get the opportunity. Very rarely do they ever... Did they ever do anything out of their comfort zone? But the Asgard was was Think, perfect want, for that. You want to go about now? Well, just head down a bit. Well, there's the there's the Raycon boy, yeah. so he's going to come down north of it anyway. Yeah. Well, we should go around. Anyway. Or maybe go hard up a bit to get us more down where we want to go to well, our destination. Yeah. Actually, if you if you, I'll, I'll haul in a bit. I'm, I'm sailing. I'm sailing at a at a square rigger angle to the yeah. wind here, 60 degrees. We can lay the uh, the Raycon. Oh, yeah. 
to keep out of our way. Hold the jib in a bit now, there we are. Tell me when you have it, where you want it. Yeah. Nice. So the, the tide's ebbing there now, so I might be able to lay it anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll take the main in a bit more as well, will I? Yeah, yeah, it's lifting there a bit. Actually, I'll take some down the bank. That's necessary. In other programs, we've talked to people who have been at sea for you know in different ways. You professionally uh, in Irish shipping, and what we're talking about now, they sailing, and they all set, talk about time out of mind. It's like it's a different universe. Time works differently. Your priorities are different. It's, it, you're living in the now. It's almost a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even realise that you're that you're kind of just living in the present, you know. But um, I mean, when you get in somewhere, it's nearly a, an interruption. You know, you hate hitting land, you know, and especially sailing because it takes that little bit longer to get there under sail. But uh, you know, I've been out at sea for three or four weeks at a time, and you'd get in somewhere, and nobody goes ashore. You would think everybody would be jumping off the boat and uh, you know heading up to the nearest bar or something, but it just doesn't happen. You know, it's just it's treated as a nuisance. About being on a long voyage at sea is you get into a pure routine, and you know minutes mean nothing to you, hours mean nothing to you, and days probably mean nothing to you as well. You know you'd be you'd be there discussing a serious discussion. You know will we will we change that headsail? You know uh, yeah, we'll have a look at it tomorrow maybe. <laughs> you know time means nothing. We we got into Bermuda one time, which everybody would would kill to to get to, and the first night. We tied up in the, the Royal Bermudiana and uh, nobody went ashore. Absolutely nobody. You think you might go about now and head? Oh, it'd the, be no the, harm, wouldn't it? No harm, the general yeah. direction, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I keep forgetting that we can go to Windward. Yeah, I noticed that actually, yeah. <laughs> You're... I, thought the, I thought the 60, I thought the, the green section was the, point, was the part that you don't go into. Yeah, that's a much better breeze out here. Oh, yeah. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, Leo. Okay, so I might clear the muglins. I was thinking that. What do you, if you put her... The tide will be, tide will be ebbing okay, in yeah. here, so... Yeah. Better hard in the wind. I'll wind her up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. moving again first. Time. That would be great now. Just clear the mudlands would be. Oh yeah. Yeah. Be on our way. Get hit. Hit Bray. So tell me about what it was like as a professional, and in the Irish shipping years. The Irish shipping years were all about deep sea and long, long voyages. It was, it was a million years ago. Um, oh, it was great. Before you were twenty, you saw the world, or at least you saw a lot of water. Anyway, in, in different parts of the world. Well, I remember getting car postcards and letters from Japan and and uh, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, and all these names 
and it was almost like follow the fleet with a personal um, correspondent, you know? Well, it, it was great. There was more communication in those days, you know, with all the satellite equipment we have now and, uh, you know, postcards and letters. You'd, you'd be waiting to get into Panama and get the, uh, get the boat. The agent would come out with all the mail, you know, and it'd be like a sack of mail. And it was peace and quiet on the ship for hours afterwards. You're trying to trying to catch up on the on the rest of the world, you know. The the main thing is that you had an awful lot of crew. I mean, the average crew on on an Irish shipping ship might be about 30, 35 bodies, and so there was always something going on. Um, there was always a party somewhere. Uh, the smoke room was 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 never left unmanned. <laughs> the uh, and and you could afford to cover for somebody. You know, there was always. I mean, the the whole hierarchy on a ship. Um, the next person down can do your job. You know, you, you don't let them realise that. You know, otherwise you would take your job. But you know, it, it's there's plenty of bodies to cover for you, or there was then in those days. Nowadays, the same ship wouldn't have half that crew. I mean, my my crews nowadays would be between a dozen, maybe fifteen or so, and everybody is working hard. Everybody has a job to do. In fact, they're they're mostly doing two jobs. So an awful lot of the sociability of it has disappeared nowadays. I mean, you'd, uh, you'd come off watch at midnight sometimes, and in the old days you'd, you'd go down to the bar and you'd have a couple of beers and whatever, and there was no real problem with that. Um, nowadays you come down off watch and you just go to your bunk and you sleep. And sleep is kind of a luxury sometimes. Changing the bottom, I think. Yeah, it's wind against tide. I mean, it's it's fairly well sluicing through here, one direction, and the, it's only the, eleven meters here. Uh, the um, the wind is is churning it up there. Nine meters. It's yeah, yeah, well. Only five meters here. Oh yeah. Only a meter draft, yeah. One meter eight, <laughs> two meters. <laughs> let's just let's, let's round it up to two meters, right? Yeah, yeah. We're over the boat now. It's back to nine. Right. Now we're opening into Kalini Bay, and dead ahead is Brayhead, and the sails of another boat coming up the coast towards us. It was a better wind than us, but we're yeah. still getting four knots. The sun is still shining. The sun is still shining and not a cloud in the sky. Doesn't Docky Island look really nice from this side? Yeah. I wonder how the goats are doing. Uh, ships from Arklow, I mean we're sailing on the Wicklow coast or thing, right? When we turn down. Uh, have had hundreds of years of success in coasting schooners and in, in shipbuilding and now again in an almost dominant position in, in well, a very prominent position in, in Northwest Europe. Northwest Europe, uh, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're the match, and and you know, a lot better than most other companies, you know, either bigger or smaller in North Europe. They, it's a very hands-on shipping company, and nowadays most shipping companies are, are run by accountants, you know, for better or for worse. But Arklo was was always a ship-owning company. They, for hundreds they, of years, they were just... they were ship owners. It was in their blood, and there was. There was nothing that that could phase them, you know. No matter what problems there are, and there, you know, being on a ship is just being in the middle of mayhem all the time. 
there's always things going wrong. But it's it's their approach to it. They never think that it's an unsolvable situation. They just they create a solution. You know, and they always they always get the ships trading. Arklo never lay up a ship. Times are bad with, with global the global economy says that there's not too much goods flying around the place or as much as there were uh, in the past. But Arklo always managed to find cargoes for their ships. You're listening to Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea. If you're looking for the for the prettiest boat in the whole of Dunleary, oh I have a darling little thing. Um, just go down onto the marina and uh, turn right and she's a tiny little thing a little 18 footer uh, called Panacea and she's we had her out there last night probably the best sail that I've had in her because even though I've owned her for about a year she um, the the first day I went sailing in her um, in Dunleary I I went down and I picked her up down in Kerry and uh, brought her up here and launched her and went out for an afternoon drifting around Dublin Bay, came back in, picked up a mooring, went home, and the next minute the uh, one of the lads from the club turned around and says, uh, remember that boat you had? <laughs> there was only the, only the tops of the mast um, were still visible. She'd, she'd sunk on me. So uh, anyway, I got the, uh, the, the, there's a dive school, a paddy dive school in Dunleary, and uh, so I approached them the next morning and uh, they, uh, they, they lifted her by, by lunchtime. And, uh, but she needed a lot of work on her after that. Um, although they managed in MGM, they managed to uh, get the engine going again because it's the sweetest little engine. And uh, I'd hate to think how old it is, but it's an old Petter engine that the likes that you don't hear anymore. Um, it's a little single cylinder, but uh, it... Um, you, you heard this, the engine on this this morning there when we were coming out and uh, the total opposite sound. But uh, anyway, she's, um, she was designed and built. Um, she's a one-off um, in the south coast of England. And even though she's a fibreglass hull, um, you could hardly tell that it's fibreglass. There's so much timber on her anyway. Um, but she's a little open boat and uh, she's, she's gaff-rigged something remotely like um, the Holt 17s but but not quite as big but she has everything is just was a labour of love on her um, she was uh, designed and built by Steve Prout who's uh, it's, it's, it's a name that you would associate with fast catamarans, catamarans yeah. and trimarans and things it, um, but this this wasn't that Steve Prout at all yeah. but um, anyway the uh, I've, I've been slowly kind of uh, getting used to sailing her. I mean, uh, even though I was brought up on, on uh, gaff riggers, the uh, panacea is kind of, it's, it's hard to remember everything, you know. But she was so beautifully built and so perfectly designed that everything is just where you want it. Well, except the boom, maybe, which would kind of, if you were standing up, it would knock you into the next week. Look at how nice uh, the fields between Bray and Greystones look on the hills as you, yeah. as you sail by. Gives you a different perspective everywhere from the sea, doesn't it? And the thing that puzzles me, as you said earlier, how few sails do we see out here now this morning? Uh, 
It's about, what now is it, midday now, on one of the sunniest Saturdays of the summer so far. And I can see one, two, three, four, about five or six boats out. Yeah, including us. Including us, yeah. I know. Oh, it's a, it's a shame, you know. I mean, now in Ireland that there's no traditional sail training, it's a, it's an awful shame that half of those boats in there in the marina, you know, they they could be out here with 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 kids, you know. But uh, uh, maybe it's the kids don't want it, or you know, times have changed. I don't know. I think the vast number of boats in the marina are down to the racing. You come here on a Thursday night or a Saturday or whatever, and it's fantastic. But literally, th last Thursday night, I was looking out the window and you couldn't see any water on the bay. It was just white with sails. You know, so, okay, so, the, you know, there are a lot of people out here and it's probably one of the biggest participant sports in Dublin. Um, but, you know, there's, there's seven days in a week and they're really only, they only get active for one, one and a half days. You see them tearing out of the dart running down to try and get the launch out for get out before the start or you know but yeah, that, th th there's other perfect days that you you know to hell with the office <laughs> put the phone on divert and you should be out here you know that main's not doing very much is it it's not really but sure the, the the jib is working pulling away yeah uh, well you can't get the main in much more really i could i could flatten it a bit maybe. yeah uh, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah. So would it be coffee or tea I'll be serving now? Ah, collation. Yeah. Um, yeah, either or. So what we might do is we might take, we might go down here as far as best we can, right? Mm. And do another tack out to sea. Yeah. At which point we'd have room to heave to for lunch. Yeah. That'd be a plan, yeah. yeah. We've been sailing today with Frank Trainer, a master mariner in every sense of the word. These days he can be found on Dublin Bay sailing his 18-foot traditional gaff cutter, taking a more leisurely approach to sailing. If you want to hear more programmes and clips from other programmes in the series, head over to our website, seastories.ie. I'm John Murphy. Join me next time on Sea Stories. Sea Stories is a 21st century Vox production for East Coast FM and the programme was produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories. Visit our website, seastories.ie or go to facebook.com forward slash seastoriesireland or follow us on Twitter at seastoriesirl. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, with funding from the Television Licence Fee.